As a hiker and a lover of nature, I'm really glad to read Psalm 19 as we get ready to study that today. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward." Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them have no dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the, word of my, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer." Lord, we do pray that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable to you. We pray that John's words to us would stir our hearts. We pray that this passage would move us to love you better and to serve you more. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Next mic. This sermon could be boiled down to this. Um, Go outside, read your Bible, and reflect on that a lot. Let's pray. <laughs> and it feels in some ways as though if the psalm were to have any justice, that, that would be it. But, um, you know, I got to justify my existence and working for a church, so I have notes, and we'll talk about it for about 35 minutes. But this psalm, in somewhat of a roundabout way, takes on two of the oldest questions of human existence, and it is this, is there a God, and is this God knowable? And a spoiler alert for the sermon is yes. There is a God, this God is knowable. And in taking on those two massively complex uh, questions, we have to do so with a bit of humility and acknowledge there's debates, disagreements, and that humanity has run itself in circles throughout all of the ages, and I'm not attempting or pretending as though today I'm going to give you an airtight argument and apologetics for all of the arguments and whatabouts and what-ifs of it all. We're simply going to look at this psalm and reflect and encourage ourselves and one another to place our faith in this God, 
knowing that regardless of who you are, where you are, you are going to place your faith in someone or something, uh, some framework that makes sense of the universe. But again, the, the sentiment of we're all just grasping, searching who can know, it's gone throughout millennia. In fact, there's this old um, analogy metaphor of religion in humanity's understanding of God is like a bunch of blind men going up to feel an elephant. And maybe you've heard this one before. It goes back about 2,500 years. There was a poem I found from the 1800s, John Sachs. He says this, uh, it was six men of Indostan to learning much inclined who went to see the elephant though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. And then the poem goes on that one blind man feels the side and it's a wall. Another feels the, the trunk and goes, no, it's a snake. Another one feels the tusk, says it's a spear. Another one the leg and says, oh, it's a tree. Another one flaps the ear and goes, it's a fan. And another one says uh, with the tail, oh, no, this is a rope. And the poem ends this way. So oft in theologic wars, the disputants I ween, which I... It, not the same as how I understood ween. It's an old English word for think, not uh, babies and that kind of stuff. Just so you all know, I know, ween. Rail on in utter ignorance of what each other mean and pray about the elephant not one of them has seen. And what the metaphor and understanding gets right is that we as humans are limited and blind in some aspect. Every one of us, for sure, has our own blind spots and, and limitations. But what if the elephant talks? What if the elephant opens up its mouth and says, I'm an elephant? And that's, in my estimation, what we see in both creation and scripture, that the poem in prayer of Psalm 19 is one of wonder that shows how God has revealed himself throughout history. And so the three things we're going to look at is how God has revealed himself in the world, how God has revealed himself in his word, and how that then is to be worked into one's soul. In verse 1 through 6 that Mike read, we see that God has revealed himself in creation that all of creation is declaring and proclaiming God's glory and handiwork, that every day and every night is speaking and that language is universal and it's global. And, and he gives this illustration in verse five, it's like a bridegroom coming out of its chamber. Like that, that special moment, if you've been to a wedding and seen when, when the, the bride comes out in this excitement, this this beautiful moment of, ah, isn't love so great? It's like that. He says, like a strong man running its race with joy. And my mind goes back to the 90s, watching Michael Johnson race anybody, uh, one of the best American sprinters of all time. I grew up watching uh, Michael Johnson and then later Usain Bolt. And even right now, the worlds are happening. And so at least in my YouTube algorithm, it's feeding me all of the track and field stuff that's happening right now. Uh, there's this special glory of God revealed in all of creation. And it's something that if you just take a moment and look, it's inexhaustibly amazing. And I know not all of you are nature, creation, outside people, 
and that's okay, but I'm gonna try to convince you a little bit to go outside or at least be fascinated by it. Neil deGrasse Tyson, he has a book, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. And, and I'll just, before I read his quote, just a side note, that if I ever quote from somebody here, it doesn't ever mean that I agree with them 100%. There's been a couple times where I quote somebody and they're like, how could you quote that heretic? And I'm like, because I found it helpful in the moment. So <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson, especially lately, he's, I just keep seeing stuff pop up and I'm like, ah, you're a little nuts. So just by me quoting somebody, it's just that I find that helpful. And if you're like, what about, let's get coffee, and if you want to rail on me for quoting a heretic, then go ahead and we'll have coffee and talk about it. Neil deGrasse Tyson, though, all of that to say, here's what I found helpful. He says this, Earth's moon is about one four hundredth of the diameter of the sun, but it is also one four hundredth as far from us, making the sun and the moon the same size on the sky. A coincidence, he says, uh, that's where I disagree with him, um, not shared by any other planet moon combination in the solar system, allowing for uniquely photogenic total solar eclipses. That's this world we live in, that there's this uh, ball of fire, the sun, that you could fit 1.3 million Earths in, and there's this perfect symmetry happening. That um, in our galaxy system, it would take modern spacecraft 450 million years to get to the center of our galaxy. Oh, and by the way, our galaxy is supposedly ever expanding. Cool. And oh, by the way, we're one of 200 billion galaxies, it's believed. Cool. If you want to know more, talk to Gary. Gary's got, yeah, an astronomy background. If you want to make him laugh, make a good astrology joke and ask him what sign you are. I'm stealing that from Scott Ritchie. Um, give credit where credit's due. But, but when you take a second and just reflect on how massive creation in this world is, how small we are in the midst of it, and how just perfectly programmed, for lack of a better metaphor that I can come up with it this time, how it all works together in such harmony, in seeming chaos, that it just works. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so the logic then is that if there's creation, then there probably is a creator. That seeing the design in the world testifies to the fact that there is a Designer, again, we have to acknowledge all of us will place our faith in some system, some thought, some influence that seems or tries to make sense of it all. We're in Prescott, and so one of my favorite vehicles in the town is Mr. Flat Earth Guy, the truck that drives around, right? I, it, it's, that guy is putting his faith in a series of propositions and understanding of the world. He's got faith in that. And he's real grumpy, too. I try, he lives in our neighborhood, and I try to wave at him every time, and I'm, I'm just slowly trying to work him up, you know, over time, just, hey! Just, uh, like, All right. <laughs> and so what David is doing here is he's writing and reflecting and testifying that in this world, there's a God behind all of it. And God is knowable in part through his handiwork 
in the world. Paul would echo uh, a similar thing in Romans chapter 1. It will be on the screen probably before I even get there in my own Bible. And Paul says, for his, this is God's, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they, humanity, are without excuse. So both David and Paul are saying, in this world, the grandeur and the glory and the the wonder of creation is on display and so that humanity can universally and globally know God in part. I, in reflecting on this text, it felt only right to take a field trip to the Grand Canyon. That's one of my favorite places on Wednesday and do a little run and see the sunrise. And here's what came to mind reflecting on this psalm and what you can see in a sunrise at the Grand Canyon uh, is that this God is seemingly uh, patient and gentle. Uh, Patient in that his story and all of creation is unfolded over time. Lots of arguments about how old the earth is and how much time. I I know it's a lot longer than my lifetime is all I'm saying. And, And to see the canyon and this thing that is unfolded over time Uh, go to Glacier National Park, see what the glaciers have done over time, that this God's patient, and and two is that he's gentle. And and the thought I had is how the sun every single day, uh, I know technically the sun doesn't rise, but sunrise, sunset, you you get what I'm saying here. And she's like, he's with the flat earth guy. But the sunrise, (laughs) our perception of the sunrise, is is I just thought, how kind of God. I'm not a guy that likes getting out of bed every morning. I'm just, I'm not that person that's like, yeah, I'm ready to get it. My, my siblings all are, and, and I, that gene skipped me. I'm like, <laughs> again. Um, but, but that God is more gentle than, like my brother in the morning is a f- just flick the lights on. He, doesn't, he didn't care. Like, just get up. Come on. And I'm like, ah, it's not... And if I want to get my kids up, it's like, come on, let's get going. And God's just more patient and kind than that. It's like, this is going to unfold in a gradient slowly every single day. Every single day. I'm not just going to go, wake up, boom, lights are on. And then time for sleep, boom. It's like, he's patient and he's gentle and he's kind. God is one who is both loud and quiet. Yeah, there's the story of Elijah and the still small voice, but what you see in throughout all of history is God reveals himself to Moses, what, in fire? Sinai, there's earthquakes and thunder and lightning, and you see Pentecost, this mighty rushing wind, and he's the God of the still small voice. Driving up to the canyon, there's these thunderstorms and lightning and rain and chaos and kind of scariness when you're going faster than the posted speed limit in it all. And then you get out and it's just quiet and still and silent. God is one who is present in all things at all times and at times seemingly absent. We see that in other Psalms. God is one who is mysterious and terrifying. Again, to think that we are one 
to quote, who is it, Carl Sagan, pale blue dot in the midst of this vast system that he holds in the palm of his hand is mysterious and beautiful and terrifying. And if all we had was creation, all we had was this world, that would be, we could come to a lot of different conclusions of who this God may be. But he was not content in just revealing himself in the world, but wanting to reveal himself also in his word. And so David reflects on what God's word is and what it does. For him, he's reflecting on the first five books of the Bible and the Torah. For us, we expand that out to the 66 books that we have uh, in our laps, that God's word is perfect, that God's word is sure, it is right, it is pure, it is clean, it is true. And what it does is that it revives, it makes us wise, it causes the heart to rejoice, it opens the eyes, it endures forever. If you want further reflection on just the, again, the magnitude and brilliance and help of God's word, look at Psalm 119, I believe it's 176 verses, 171-ish of those that that, that mention God's law, his statutes, his precepts, his rules, his commandments, all of that and what it does. Amy Grant's old song, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. She stole it from the Bible. (laughs) It's there. And as God's word would say, otherwise that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That God's word, like his world, is a miracle of miracles. It's been said, and uh, this isn't original to me, it's... 66 books written with over 40 authors over the course of 1,500 years in three languages, three continents, telling one unified story. And so as David reflects on God's world, as David reflects on God's word, his desire that comes about or what he sees is that it is something to be desired. It's something precious like gold, even better than gold. It's sweet like honey. God's word is precious to behold. It is sweet and good for the soul. And so, according to Psalm 19, and the question, is there a God? Yes. Is he knowable? Yes. He's revealed in his world and his word. Uh, Theologians over the years have boiled this all down to God's uh, general revelation that is seen in all of creation, everybody and then you have God's special revelation that comes through his word. For those of you folks that love theology, here's article 2 of the Belgic Confession 1561. We know him, God, by two means. First, by the creation, preservation and government of the universe which is before our eyes as a most elegant book wherein all creatures great and small are as so many characters leading us to see clearly the invisible things of God, even his everlasting power and divinity, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.20. All which things are sufficient to convince men and leave them without excuse. Secondly, he makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy and divine word. That is to say, as far as is necessary for us to know in this life, to his glory, into our salvation. 
And so if that's the case, is David reflects in this poem and prayer that God has revealed himself in creation and he's revealed himself in his word. And then why does it seem as though there's such different views of who this God is and how he works in the world? And, and my best guess, one of many, is that we often come to God's world and his word on our terms and treat it kind of like it's Golden Corral, all-you-can-eat buffet. And, and we pick what we want and we leave out what we don't want. We have our own sensibilities, our own background, our own cultural understanding, and rather than allowing God's world and his word to direct our lives, we attempt to kind of live on our terms and place that on top of what we see, both again in the pages of scripture and out in the world. And so because of that, and what we've been saying all throughout the Psalms, because we have a tendency to place ourselves at the center of the story and at the center of the universe, we all have somewhat of a Frankenstein version of God, Mr. Potato Head, you know? Like the ear doesn't go there. Like in my world, it does. Okay. And so what can happen, I think all of us in this life ought to, in some sort of way, one of the hot button words of the last, I don't know, 10 years is this word deconstruction, of picking apart the Christian system and beliefs and, and all of that. And I think there can be something really healthy in rediscovering what scripture actually says, what the world actually reveals about this God and who he is, and allow that to peel away our own misconceptions and the misconceptions that have been placed on us by others. That's a healthy and good thing to do, to evaluate all of life under the lens of Scripture and his creation, how God has been revealed. And what I often find is when I'm talking with people who are in the midst of that season and go, well, God, this, 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 I can't believe in a God like that. I'm like, well, I agree with you. I don't think that's necessarily the God of Scripture. That's the God of particular pastor or parent or whoever that, that has given you some truth but in a distorted way. Who do we see God to be in the world and in his word as one consistent, unified testimony to who he is and how he rolls? This psalm shows us that we're invited to know all of God through his world and through his word, not merely for observation, but ingestion and application into all of life. And this is where faith comes in. Because I think all of us logically can look at it and go, okay, sure. But it not make any difference in our lives. You can look at it and go, oh yeah, the world's pretty amazing. And oh yeah, I see Jesus in scripture. Cool. But we don't make that leap to actually applying, ingesting, and meditating on God through his word and in his world. It's really the difference between knowing about somebody and really knowing somebody in life. It's the call to move from just simply a logical understanding of God to loving and knowing God. 
And so the entirety of it all is to be rightly seen and understood, embraced and worked into the soul. And that's how you see this psalm evolve into that and develop. Verse 11, moreover, by them, this is God's word, your servant is warned and in keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. And then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And so as David reflects on who God is as revealed in the world and who God is as revealed in his word, He's warned, he desires to keep, he's praying these things into his soul. He doesn't want to be one who assumes. And there's this all of life evaluation that happens in the light of God's truth. Now, today, I think one of the weapons of the enemy is to take that reflection and to take that awe and wonder and grind it away to just an everyday numbness and apathy and indifference. Trial, tribulation, suffering has a way of doing that. Um, our overabundance of information and technology has a way of doing that. And I think because we have all of this understanding, all of this knowledge and all of these things, the enemy has an ability to take that and just grind us down into blah. And what happens in blah is we then go back to the beginning of the world revolves around me. We, we go back to the most uninteresting form of life, and that is that I, John Wolfinger, in the center of the universe. Paul Tripp puts it a lot better than I ever could. He says, forgetting the awesome and glorious one who made it all and holds it all together by the sheer power of his magnificent will will always insert me into the center. This means that no story will be more important to me than my story. I will ask no bigger questions than the questions of how I'm doing. I will have no bigger concern than my satisfaction and comfort. I will ask life to serve me, to submit to my interests and, and deliver whatever I demand. This viewpoint will guarantee me a life of huge disappointment. And not only that, it is also an insane way to live. I'm not the center of all things. The world will not do my sovereign bidding. God will not offer his awesome throne to me. Awe of self, worship of self, underlies every form of self-destructive living. And so this psalm offers an alternative. See God again. In creation, some of you literally this week simply need to go on a walk. No headphones, no technology, not for the Instagram. Just go and see this God who's made all things. Just go outside. Breathe deeply. Observe some trees and birds and flowers. And go out, I don't know, near White Spar, there's blackberry bushes. I talked to Josh and Marianne, they know where some are out there too. The hidden ones, they'll, 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 well, you don't have to tell them you're hidden gem. General vicinity. It's just incredible, this world. 
All of it. All of it. Go see it. Soak it in. And thank God for it. And go, God, what does this tell me about you? And do that in conjunction with his word. His story that's revealed. You see, what these psalms do is they give us this perspective. And every psalm, in some way, shape, or form, is also pointing us forward. Because David didn't have the whole story revealed to him. It was still unfolding. And the writer of Hebrews would say uh, this. Again, my bookmarks, there it is. They're all off this morning. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's his word David's reflecting on. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much Superior to angels is the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. What we see in the story of God is that the creator enters into creation. The word becomes flesh. Colossians 1 echoes that of Hebrews 1 where he says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and I love this, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so we don't simply just have Psalm 19. We have the rest of scripture and the testimony of Christ who came into creation that holds all of this together. The word becomes flesh creator enters into creation and the song is the same that he's inviting everyone towards knowing him and in knowing him there's healing there's wholeness there's forgiveness and faith and a call to surrender our lives in the light of who he is and what he's accomplished and so you can't see Jesus as revealed in the world as revealed in his word, and be left the same. The call is the same, and that is towards surrender and obedience, as the psalmist wrote in Psalm 19. That all of our lives would be lived in a new evaluation, not according to our own will, according to our own plan, according to our own desires, but in line with him and his the image in my mind this week was that uh, it's kind of like rock tumbling. That 
from my understanding, I've not done it. You take a rough rock, you throw it in a tumbler, and you just keep turning it, turning it, and eventually it polishes and takes off all the rough edges and produces something uh, much more appealing than what went in in the first place. And as I was thinking, that's what I believe partly one metaphor that could be used for the process of sanctification is that we submit ourselves to God as revealed in his word, as revealed in his world, and allow him to shape us, to mold us, to transform us. That we with David can say, God, keep me from presumptuous sins. Like all the things that I'm not even aware of that I do that aren't in line with your kingdom, in line with your heart. Would you keep me from that? Reveal it. We'll get into a little bit more next week about how that happens and how God shows up with community. But until then, my hope, my prayer is that we would see again, as David closes this out, that the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, would be acceptable in your sight. God, my strength and my redeemer. That God is a savior and a solid place. That we would submit our lives to his goodwill and plan. And we would go from this place with a little more, whoa, this God is amazing and good and capable and trustworthy and we see that not just because he wrote it in the skies but because he came in the flesh and if you want to know ultimately what God is like you look at Jesus who is the creator and sustainer of all things and who has given us his word let's pray and so Lord would you help us this morning to press this reality deeper into our souls would you reveal to us the ways in which we lose our wonder and our awe? And as we sing and take communion together, would you either in a drastic way for some of us or in a subtle way for others, just reveal to us yet again how good, patient, kind, loving, forgiving, and good you are. Thank you, Jesus, that you've not left us blind to our own devices, but you have unveiled your plan through your good creation and through your good word by sending your son that we might see you, know you, worship you, and follow you in all of life. And so work these things into our hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen.